we would like to acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the lands and waters where we're recording from, the Waramai and Wanarua peoples. We acknowledge the Waramai and Wanarua elders, both past and present. on the field for the Newcastle Knights. Darren Tracy's first touch of the footy. Now Andrew John. Strikes a little hole himself. He's close. Right. He reaches out. That's a try to Andrew John. Bruce Street from the little halfback. And that's a good reward for a great game. It is debut match for the Newcastle Knights in first grade. Andrew John scores the try and that should wrap it up for the night. Coming to you live from Warramai and Wanneroo Lands, this is the Bay 53 Podcast, part of the Sports Best Friends Broadcasting Network, brought to you by your friends Bretto and the K-Dog. We're jumping straight into yet another teamless Tuesday for a second pre-season game of the year, coming up in Fiji against the mighty Melbourne Storm. The boys across the top 30 have really shown some great strides this season, with a strong first-up win over the Sharks in subtropical conditions in Gosford. Hey, Bretto, let, uh, let's just uh, get straight into it, mate. Uh, no intro. Let's talk um, straight into the footy. Saturday was great. Team list is strong today. Um, yeah, the, it, the team's building. The men's team is building. It just feels like they're building something uh, really strong. Yeah, exactly right, mate. You know, we, we've been doing the, uh, the rebuild what since... 2014 we've yeah. we've all been you know the false dawns the different eras the you know the kp coming we thought was at the start and it turns out you know we weren't we never had the strength across the paddock in kp's injuries mitch pierce was solid but didn't quite do the job looking at looking at the squad on paper and how the younger guys performed on the weekend i mean the rebuild's done excuses are out the window like this team needs to just you know really be at the top end of the table the thing that was the most pleasing about Saturday is, and as usual, when you do talk about preseason, you 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 assume all of these caveats are going in where it was only a preseason. You know, they just weren't trying to get hurt. Um, the opposition wasn't particularly strong. Um, yeah, so we, we all of those things. So that's that's probably why, uh, for to a certain extent, you and I, are you know, we put the result to the side. But there are so many little elements about what was being shown on Saturday that gave you a lot of confidence about not just our first, our, our best 17, but the idea of having this top 30 squad is that aside from when Maps went out after 12 seconds, and then I think it was McCarthy who came in, you could tell that you could tell that just threw things out. But you and I commented almost immediately after the game was that. At 12 points down after 10 minutes, it was so easy for all 30 of those players to go into, well, it's just a trial mode, so let's we don't need to really try. And they really could have, it actually could have escalated from there. To watch them then come back and then put on 44 straight points and put in what looked like an all-round 27-man uh, game, regardless of where the players moved, that that was it. That That was what we were looking for. That was what we wanted and that was what we got. And that's what was the most pleasing about Saturday. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right there, and I, I watched the replay again, like last night, and then again a bit today. Um, it was amazing how you didn't even notice when the changes had been made. So, so guys would say so guys would slide mm. into a spot, you know, and key spots too. You know, I'm not talking, you know, 
back rowers and stuff. I'm talking, you know, I'm talking key spine spots. You didn't even really notice. And then the, the guy would get the ball or they'd score a try and then you'd watch the replay and go, oh, such and such is playing there now. And it was so seamless. It's just nothing that we're used to as Knights fans. Because Knights fans, the, the drop we've always had plenty of good cut players, but the drop-off between our top 17, or even our top sort of 13 or 14 to the next 10 is normally a huge gulf. But I think, obviously, we've got our elite players. But I think, you know, take out the four or five elite players and the rest of the 25, the 25 other guys in the 30 men is incredibly even. Like, as, as even as I can remember, you know, right back to maybe the mid-90s, you know, when we were winning reserve grade competitions. It's um, none of those guys that played on the weekend, you would panic if they had to play a first grade game this year. Well, it's interesting you, you, you do talk about those reserve grade teams as well because you've got to remember you know, our reserve grade team, I think, came second last last year. Like at one point, you know, halfway through the season, I think they had one win on the board and they got they got an absolute bollocking from Peter Parr that was said, hey, a lot of you are playing for your careers at this club for the second half of the season. So, again, we go back to Saturday where even if it was just reserve grade side that we were playing, well, the rest of our top 30... <laughs> You know, compared from where even they come from last year, they sort of stepped up and they showed that they were playing a club way of playing as opposed to a reserve grade way of playing as well. The other thing I wanted to mention to you as well is that you and I have watched a lot of Adam O'Brien uh, preseason games over the last three years and they're dreadful. And Aside from 2022, that's not normally been an indicator. Sorry, five years. This is the fifth year of Adam O'Brien um, preseason trials. Except for 2022, that's never really been much of an indicator. But having said that, you've always had to watch the preseasons and just you've really had to stri- say to yourself, the result doesn't matter. And But there's always been this sort of cautious conservatism about the team where you they literally look like they're just playing not to get injured. But they genuinely look like a team that was playing, particularly in the halves, like a team that wanted to try new things, that they wanted that they went out there and said, you know, go out there and show us what you've got in readiness for round one. And and that was the most pleasing for, thing for me is that the half, uh, from a halves perspective, Jackson Hastings, Jack Cogger, Tyson Gamble, um, even Phoenix to a certain extent, they went out there and executed and they looked really comfortable within the system that they were playing in. Yeah, you're right. The attack sort of just rolled straight out of the end of last year, didn't it? You know, and and having no KP there obviously, you know, affects the timing somewhat because you're having guys play there that you're not used to particularly. But the plays look familiar, you know. The lines look familiar. Jacko had as much confidence in any of those guys running off his hip or whatever as he did any day, any of the guys we had last year. Phoenix, you know, had the confidence to um, to go the side he thought was best rather than just, I reckon in the past, Phoenix would have always given the ball to Jacko mm. or, or praised to Jacko, uh, Mitch Pierce or Cliff. Whereas I think Phoenix has now got the confidence to trust his own judgment and he was happy to go the other side. And that wasn't, you know, and when Jacko or Gamble were off the field, you know, it was go to Cogs or it was, sometimes it was go to Will Price. And just the ability to... For that whole spine, and you, you throw Fletcher Sharp in there from the back too. The ability of that whole spine just to slot in seamlessly is not the right word because it was especially early, it was very clunky. But for a first run of the season, it was as good as you could hope. And a team like like a you know like a, a long term spine like a Melbourne or someone had done that. Everyone would go with the you know, Melbourne just roll back into the into gear. Mm. But a lot of that, a lot of those guys are new, you know, and it's only Phoenix's second 
pre second, you know, run in a season at hooker. And it just went so well. And when Riley Jones come on at hooker, you know, you didn't see a drop off. Um, yeah, like it's you know, it's you don't want to get overexcited about preseason, but it's hard not to. It just it just looked really good, and, and I really think you know the the Ron Griffiths Pollock has already started to show on some of those young fellows. In terms of, like I know they train as a squad over the off season, but the part time you know the guys outside the thirty who do you know who work and don't you know don't get much time with the main squad. They do their own thing after work in the cup training squad. But those guys look polished, like more polished than ever. You know, like a lot of those guys were only playing SG ball last year, some playing flag, but they just came in polished. They came in, you know, to play that first grade system, which Adam O'Brien has talked about. As a club, we play one system. We don't play, we don't play, you know, guys play the positions that we think they're going to chance to be first graders in, not the positions they're suited as, as 18 year olds. And it was seamless. And as I said, you know, that, that Ron Griffith polish sort of already shining through and, um, no, it, it, it's hard not to get excited, isn't it? I think control was really the key word that jumped out at me in the end from Saturday. Because it, it's easy in hindsight to figure out a lot happened in this game, uh, particularly in those first first 15 minutes where, let's not forget, we were absolutely dreadful. Um, you know, we couldn't hold on to the ball. Obviously, we lost maps um, to just an awful, awful tackle. Um, I'll touch on that with you really quickly. That to me, just screamed of a kid who was a little bit too eager. I think, you know, he's had a bit of a stop-start first-grade career. He really wanted to throw himself into the season. And he was just a – that was a tackle from a guy, a centre, off a kickoff that just wasn't thinking. He just wasn't focused. He was so focused on throwing himself in, he wasn't focused enough on um, just doing it properly. Yeah, you're right. That's just a guy that just wanted to make a statement and be back and join his footy, and he just threw himself. He, he didn't. There was no technique. He just threw his body into a 125 kilo prop, and that's what happens. Um, so I think that I think that threw us out a little bit um, for those first ten minutes. Having said that, though, that really shouldn't have been any reason why we couldn't hold onto the ball because I think our first set of the game we rolled up the field 80 metres put on a really good set and then I don't think we could complete the next five and the thing about that was um, it was awful, awful weather on Saturday, just absolutely um, subtropical stuff uh, I, I saw someone on Twitter sort of saying with about 20 minutes left in the game they had to leave it was so hot, so that was just someone sitting there watching, they weren't even playing but now, we couldn't hold on to the ball. Eventually, that sort of took its toll. And I will be honest with you, two tries to nil down, that that tick of it's only a preseason game was starting to sort of kick in. Um, what changed? What do you reckon changed, though, from the 15th minute onwards where we just started to get our act together? And, you know, was there a, would there have been a message sent out or did they just go back to what they knew? What do you reckon was the difference from there on in? It was the difference that, we learnt last year that two tries down, there's no need to panic because we have four tries in us in 10 minutes if we need it. And mm. you could you could just see, like, there was no distinct change in anything other than it was clear indication of the next two sets we need to hold the ball. So that's what we did. Yeah, it was a bit of a tuck under the arm stuff. Let's let's control the ball. Let's see if we can get a six again or something like that. We got a couple of six agains. Cog hit the 40-20. And we just, you know, then we just started to roll into gear. And that's, and that's all it took. Early on, I think it was just a case of the, the reality is that those balls are designed 
for for water on them to to be sticky, but when it's sweat, they're slippery. And and the boys just you know weren't weren't sort of showing the ball enough respect early, which is understandable. It's the first run of the season. I'm sure just running out into that heat initially would have been a bit of a shock. Mm. And, and Cronulla were loose with the ball too. Um, but yeah, once once we sort of you know we, we got to grips with the conditions, and then just slowly for maybe ten minutes rolled into our into our sets, rolled into our shapes, and then bang bang bang. You know, there's four tries on the board. And that's exactly the term we were last year, which is which is what gave me the confidence of, yeah, there's a real mentality change in this club. Because two two tries down and not holding the ball in that heat, in, even in a, in a regular season game, not in a trial game, this club would have just dropped their bundle and given up. Like, not given mm. up in terms of, you know, we don't care, but there would have been a you know, maximum effort to get back into it. And, um, and, and you could just see there was a, a real determination from those key spine players to, to really take charge. Now, as I said, you know, Cogs 40-20, a couple of nice Jacko kicks. Phoenix was keeping it simple, but, you know, finding the right man to roll us down the field. Just simple football. It's the football Melbourne have played for 25 years. And it really, really sort of um, was noticeable how much we could, we could really speed the game up when we started to get into our gear. It's interesting the try scorers from um, from Saturday. So I think we had six individual try scorers in the end. Only two of them were what you'd call the regular first graders. Was uh, Dylan Lucas got a double and uh, Jack Cogger as well. So Dave Armstrong, Will Price, um, Riley Jones, and I was I was glad Kyle McCarthy got a try because he had an awful start. And I and I think as well that's why the Maps injury was such a big because big deal because he McCarthy's shooting out of the line for that second try and I was just like yep that's 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 not the way to go so I think he you know it was good to see him get across the line and, and pick up his confidence a little bit um just quickly while I'm thinking about it you pointed this out we had three people uh kicking goals on Saturday but none of them were Jackson Hastings I mean, because even Tyson Gamble took the first one. What do you think the thinking is behind that? Because, I mean, surely Jackson Hastings would be the second option, given he was at one point our first option last year. But is that, is there any deeper meaning to that other than, no, just let him get get his first game under the belt and don't worry about that? Do you reckon there's a deeper meaning there going on? I just think it's, they're taking the pressure off his leg. So, and mm. you know, I was pointed out in the, in the chat group, you know, that he's probably not practicing the training because he's, you know, he, he, the only key he wants to do is practice his, you know, his, his um, field kicking. So there's no point putting that pressure on that foot and ankle, practicing your goal kicking when you can just, yeah, when the most important thing he does for the team is his last tackle kicking. Um, and the reality is that if he's not on the field, Jack Hocker's going to be on the field and Jack Hocker's a handy goal kicker. So, so I think that, Cogs will be the natural backup in terms of, as I said, if, if um, so Cogs will be in the side. KP's obviously the number one kicker. If KP's not playing, Will Price is probably fullback. So he's probably your goal kicker. Mm. So I, th- I think that in reality is they're thinking we don't really need to use Jacko. So why, you know, put that pressure on him? Do you practice his goal kicking and putting that pressure on his leg? Brett, I, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you straight away about the halves. Or I want to jump into this halves conversation because. Uh, as much as it was just a trial on Saturday, and the reason I say you know, it's just a trial is that I sort of get the feeling, and I'm putting my tinfoil hat firmly on you know, here, nice and tight. 
I sort of get the feeling that a lot of the commentary is already getting ready to just have that weapon in their arsenal to criticise Harv's selection if results don't immediately start going our way. So, because I, I thought Cogs, Gamble and Hastings, I thought they all played really well in terms of the role that they had to deliver on Saturday. And I kind of feel like the narrative or that that agenda is already into play is like, where do you fit them all? And they're just getting ready to, if if we don't win with the halves we have from the get-go, the criticism is already sharpening up to be, well, why wasn't why wasn't Cogger in, at 5'8 to begin with? It, it feels like the Knights having halves depth is the only team in the comp where that's a problem. As opposed to this is a great this is a great problem to have. It's suddenly become a negative for the team. Yeah, absolutely. Like you know, they're already listening to the um, because I listened to like some of the radio commentary on Saturday, and um, they were already talking about it um on the on the on the uh, Fox commentary, Greg Alexander and Cooper Cronk and whatnot. Hey, did you know? Did you know that Jack Cogger played for Penrith? Because oh, I, 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 I was, um, I wasn't sure if this was a new fact, given how much Greg fucking Alexander was going on about it all. In fact, I thought Penrith were playing at one point. It's, um, it's unbelievable. Like, like I understand he proved at Penrith. Like, I, I understand that. But the idea that Penrith have made him into this legendary footballer that he, you know, <laughs> not the fact that he just was like a lot of halves needed time. Um, but yeah, no, I, you're right. The narrative's already been set up. I said the radio were talking about it on Saturday when I was listening. Um, yeah, it's the thing is, Adam O'Brien, I, I, I've had no doubt for the whole preseason, like it would start gambling that Jacko because that's the kind of bloke Adam O'Brien is. Adam O'Brien, well, you guys got me to the finals last year, I'm not just gonna dump yours. And I think, I know, I, I think that probably in the back of, back of Adam O'Brien's mind is, well. If we start like a house on fire, well, I pulled the right rein. If it doesn't quite work, well, then I've got cogs to come in, and all and all's good. Like there's no, there's no reason to second guess that decision. And and the Braille's um, slight hamstring industry will, uh, injury will help because that'll mean that cogs will definitely be fourteen. Um, yeah, no, I don't, I don't see it. Like I, I, I have no doubt at all that our best half combination is cogs seven, Hastings six. Um. But yeah, like you're right. But they're already set up the narrative. I believe, if it, you know, if it doesn't work from week one, well, it's it's the wrong rain. But I can't see why it's not going to work. Like if we just roll that attack out that we had at the end of last year against Canberra, um, we've got Sir George early. It'll work against the Warriors because it worked here against the Warriors. You know, we beat Melbourne with that hard combination here. Like. That cars combination will be plenty good enough, to, you know, to give the Cowboys a run up there. I don't see why you need to run rush Cogs into it. Like he's he's new to the system, he's new to the club. Like I, I don't think you're doing him a service to put him in the halves immediately and go, well, there you go, Jack, sort it out. Pressure's on, buddy. You better start yeah. delivering immediately. Yeah. Tyson Gamble has ended up being a really funny player for the Knights. When you think about his journey from when he was first announced as a signing to when, you know, full-time was blown on Saturday against the Sharks. So, and this is, I guess this is my personal journey, was when he was announced, I was a bit meh. When he oh, was... I was way worse than meh. I was blown up about it. <laughs> <laughs> when he was first wheeled out, you know, in the in early season last year, I was like, I was like, oh, yeah, I guess there's a there's utility value for him. 
When KP went down, he suddenly became one of the key signings we'd ever made because we had a proper half to fill in for him. But what's been interesting about Tyson is how quickly we've all forgotten that he proved his stripes with his team every single week. So every week he was basically being told, you're going to get dropped next week when someone better can. And I'm pretty sure he played almost every game for him. And the lack of appreciation for what Tyson Gamble has done for this club last year, it's almost it's almost astonishing to me that we're at this point where I'm not saying his place absolutely should be locked in in stone, but it's just this idea that it suddenly seems unfathomable fathomable that he'd be starting. And it's like he brings something. He was the guy last year that was too good to drop for Kalen Ponga. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. it's just so funny how quickly this the the idea is chopped and changed about Kent Tyson Gamble on an almost week to week basis. Like people forget that Jack Hay went down late in the season. It was Clune and Gamble that led us into the finals. Yes. You know, <laughs> J, you know, Jacko started the um the, the final, but it didn't last long. Like he went, Jacko went off at uh, halfway through one of the other games, and, and Gamble sort of had to take the reins. Like that's what people forget. Like. It was Gamble that was that led us into the finals. That backstretch when Jacko was injured, he's a, he, he's more than any chance to do that again. And you're right, without KP, like that that Penrith game that we should have won, Gamble was the best player in the field that day. And any and any other any other sort of week, maybe he probably his field goal the kick wins the game. It's um. It's you know, yeah right. It's so disrespectful to think that a guy like Jack Hogg had Jack Hogg had a good year at Penrith, but we didn't we didn't buy Cooper Cronk, you know we didn't buy a million dollar halfback. We bought a three hundred thousand dollar halfback to fill out <laughs> our squad. Like I don't see like to me it would be disrespectful to gamble to go well you're gone mate. Hmm. Like there's just no there's just no reason like we proved last year that a spine of Crossland Gamble Hastings Ponga is good enough to be a top four or five team. Why would you change that immediately unless you need to? I'm wondering as well if there's a bit of the Ben Darwins about it as well and sort of Absolutely. Yeah. Why um why rock that apple cart any more than we have to? And hey, Jen, Jen, Jack and the thing about Gamble is Gamble does a lot of the running for Jack. So Jack has his leg obviously you know, isn't his mobile kind of Gamble does all that running for him. Gamble is your running risk, you know, Gamble's your, your kick chaser. Gamble's the guy that in your halves is your energy guy. Because Jacko can't do that with his leg. So Jacko's Jacko's the brains, gambles gambles the energy, and it works so well. Why the frick would you change that until you need to? You are listening to the Bay Fifty Three podcast. Can we talk a bit bit more about Jacko? Because I think it's easy to overlook what he did bring to the side last year. And as you pointed out, he finished the season with a broken leg. That leg, it was, it, it's apparent now that leg was never right last year. Like, it was just never right because, again, a fit Jackson Hastings looked so in control of his body. You know, the kicks were great. Um, his passing game was there. He was calling on all of that. But he just looked like a guy that, for the first time in a long time, he was comfortable in his body. And that freed him to take his mind off worrying about being injured and just focusing on what he needed to do with the ball. And again, it was just nice to be able to see him to execute a couple of little plays, you know, get just get that creative juice, those creative juices flowing. You know, that that kick that he laid on for Dylan Lucas's second try, mm, chef's kiss. It was, um, it was just good fun to watch. 
Yeah, that, that kick for Lucas, like, that looks simple, but that's incredibly difficult. Mm. It's it's so hard to – because it's not – it's not like you kick it at 25 metres where you've got – you know, you can get up and under it and give the guy time. So you've got to get the – it's like a free kick in, in uh, soccer where, you know, you kick it over the wall. Like, you've got to get it up and down really quickly. And he, he not only got it up and down perfectly, he got it up and down where um, Dylan didn't have to change direction and he, like, going straight towards the try line in, in stride. Like – a pass like that, and people it'd be, um, you know, um, wetting themselves about how good it was. And he's done it with a kick. Like that—that's that's elite sort of skill. And people don't don't associate Jacko with how skillful he is. Like his skill is top tier. You know, there's, there's things about him physically that he can't do that sort of keep him out of that elite bracket of halfbacks. But in terms of pure skill and game management intelligence, he's as good as anyone. I feel like the modern day halfback, though. I mean, you think of the you think of the really good halfbacks that we've got running around at the moment. Even Nathan Cleary. Nathan Cleary is a player that, if I said to you, um, "Oh, his running game is the strongest part of his game." Halfbacks really have you know turned more into that sort of that they've gone back into that playmaker role. They sort of set up um, you know it's about moving the ball and, and moving the players around and, and getting this player into that space and and you know obviously taking advantage of space when they when it when it's available but I feel like the the, the playmaking halfback is is sort of coming back a bit and that's where a play player like Jackson Hastings is perfect because he, he doesn't need to run into space that's what Caelan Ponga does Hastings is there now in a lot of way in a lot of ways like Tyson Gamble is to utilise all of these weapons around him. And, uh, he, you know, he, he showed on Saturday that when he's got a complete, a full arsenal, he's um, he, he really does fire on all cylinders. Yeah, you're right. We've, we've got a back, a back line full of great athletes. You know, your, your Braddy's KP, um, Gags, you know, he's not as quick as he used to be, but he's still a great athlete. You know, he can still beat a man quite easily to get him from space. We've got plenty of guys that can that can finish the chances. Jacko's job is just to put us in the right areas of the field and open up the space. And and that's that's the underestimated ability of Jacko is the fact that we all lord KP for KP in the run he had last year. But he had that run because Jacko and then Clooney late in the season just kept giving him the ball in space and drawing the right man. So... I actually watched a little bit of some um, some stuff from last year over the over the summer, and there were so many times where it was a standard sort of three on three, four on four, but KP would slightly angle to the outside, you know, with his footwork, and then Jacko or Clooney would be able to hit him with that pass on the outside. Well, we we would never do that, Mitch Pierce. Mitch Pierce just. I don't know if he couldn't do it or he didn't want to do it. He could never do that. And KP would always have his men directly in front of him. But the amount of times late in the season when we we're on that run, that they would have the ability to throw, essentially throw KP into space. And then once you get KP into you know half a yard of space, well then he's either straight through himself or he's got the skill to put the next ball on and the next guy goes through untouched. Like that, all that stuff is things you don't realise because you're looking at the bit of brilliance from KP, you know, that finishes the try off. But the inside stuff is so key, and it's so not what we've been able to do with the halves we've had. We've seen it briefly with um, now I'm having a blank on his name, um, Greeny. Um, yeah, so yeah, we've seen it for those few games. Greeny was there, and we we put on a couple of big scores because all KP needs is a halfback to give him the right ball and you know, get him on the outside of his man. And yeah, Jacko's 
so good at reading numbers. And not only reading numbers, he, he plays like a quarterback in terms of a, a good quarterback never actually looks where he's throwing the ball. You know, he, he, he gets the defenders moving the wrong way by looking one way, and then he, and then the last second he'll throw it where he wants to. Jacko's very good at that. His eyes won't show any indication where the ball's going to go. And even though teams are looking for KP, the second Jacko moves his eyes to another to another part of the field, the natural instinct for them is to move their eyes too. And the moment they move their eyes, KP's gone. Um. It was a really strong finish to the first half in the end. Um, Riley Jones got a try. Uh, Dylan Lucas obviously got his um, got his second with that uh, with that Hastings kick. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about Riley Jones because for me, Riley Jones, Phoenix Crossland, I mean to a lesser extent Jack Cogger as well. It's kicked off a bit of a conversation amongst Knight fans about what do you do with Jaden Braley. And it's interesting because I heard, a re- I heard a really interesting conversation on another podcast. Actually, I might have mentioned it last time. Lots happened since the last time we recorded, where they said key members that go that are out through injury, they often those players often have a tendency to take on the asymmetric sort of characteristics relative to how the team is going. So I remember when KP was in Canada last year for those four or five games and we were doing quite well, all of a sudden, the, you know, well, KP w- wasn't as good because the team was doing better without him. So I feel like for the last 12 months, because remember when, when um, Jaden was, was, un- was unfit in 2022, the story was, well, you know, look at what we're missing with Jaden Braley. But now we did well without him last year. The story's now, well, look at how much better we are without him. I think it's easy to forget with Jaden Braley is that when he's fit, this team is better. That That is not debatable. But having said that, the, the simple fact of the matter is in three of the last four seasons, he hasn't been fit. And now he's going to start the season again unfit. So I think the conversation about what do we do with Jaden Braley needs to be on the basis of his fitness, not whether or not he's good enough to be in this team when he's fit. Does that make sense? Jaden Braley's the best hooker at this club and will be for the next two or three years if his body holds up. There's no doubt about that. Jaden Braley's a better hooker than Phoenix Crossland, purely because Jaden Braley's been a hooker his whole life. You know, he understands the little bits and pieces that Phoenix hasn't learned yet. And Phoenix could get to that level. But it, but it, you know, as it stands, if Jaden's, you know, body holds up and his legs are okay and he doesn't lost his zip out of dummy half and that, he's the best hooker at the club. But the issue for Jaden Braley is that even if he stays fit and the club loves him, like Adzi loves him, I think Adzi would give him a lifetime contract if he could. But he's a guy that He's on big money, and you've got Phoenix. He's ready to, he's, you know, first grade standard talker now. You've got Riley Jones, who's, I think, you know, 18 months away from being a first grade hooker and maybe three or four years away from being, you know, an origin standard hooker. And then we've got three or four young guys in the um, 18s and below that look very promising. Yeah, well, you can't, you can't be. The reality is the salary cap. The reality is salary cap restricts. You can't play. You can't pay for a guy that you can't. You don't. 
no say on the field, but you also can't pay multiple guys in the same position good money. So you have to essentially pick who's your guy, who am I paying, and then who's your next guy that I'm going to give you the the other top 30 spots to, and then who's my guy in the development six that I'm giving that money to. So at the moment, it's easy. You know, Brails, Phoenix, um, Riley Jones, you know, that all fit in the 30, fine. But Riley Jones is going to need to get an upgrade soon. Phoenix is signed for now, but if he continues to improve, Pub's going to start throwing some money at him. Um, it's hard to then say, well, by then, Brails is 27, 28, and had two knee reconstructions, a, um, an Achilles, it's hard to then go, we're going to give him 600000 as well, isn't it? So I think I don't think Braves will ever be run out of this club because he's not good enough. But I think with his injury history, the depth we have in, in the hooker position now, it might just be a, a cap situation that ends up making him leave the club. Can I ask you this then? Fitness, if he is fully fit for the next two years, do you think this is Jaden Braley's last contract with the Newcastle Knights? Ooh, that, that is... Ooh. It's a good uh, question, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I will say yes. In my because I want, I don't want us to lose Riley Jones. I and yeah. I, I'm so high on Riley Jones, but if we, but I, I can't see the the the, the fun. The, the nearest one says Phoenix for me. It's where the where do the club see Phoenix? Do they see Phoenix? And is Phoenix happy to be a guy that is never the number one guy in any position? Is he happy just to play for the Knights and be you know a, a three hundred thousand dollar a year player? Or a club's got to start throwing, you know, 500000 at him to go and be their starting hooker. Um, but I think that's the thing. I don't think I don't think after next year, both Phoenix and Brails will be at the club, put it that way. Yeah. No, I I, um, I tend to agree with that. Uh, look, I don't know the answer. I've asked a question that I myself actually am going to sit on the fence on. I will say this, though. As much as you and I think that this is a big year for Matt Croker, I think, unfortunately, this could be a career-defining year one way or the other for Jaden Braley. Uh, I, I, you know, as you pointed out, he's, he's, only, he's still so young. And he would see himself playing many, many more years, um, particularly with the way longevity is now coming into the game, regardless of the fact he plays the, you know, the higher, higher volume workload position in the team. He will still see himself as having four or five more years in the game. Um, and I think this year we'll have a big say on whether um, any of those years are with the Knights. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, it was an interesting second half in the end. So, so we went in, in at halftime 24 to 12. Uh, final score ended up finished. So, you know, we won both halves. We finished the second half ultimately with a, with a 20 points to six. Um, um, you know, that's, we won the second half as well. A lot of the a lot of the talk has been around David Armstrong because um, uh, Ryan Rivett was uh, an, a, a late withdrawal from the squad. He's now off to France to play Championship uh, Rugby League over in Europe. But the talk seems to be that David Armstrong's probably the next cab to leave the ranks in terms of getting an early departure. Bredo says no. You say that that's a bad call, and I've got to be honest with you. Given what we saw on Saturday and you know, having that depth out wide in your uh, outside backs, it, it it feels like it would be the smart move of the club to hold on to him if they can, because I thought he showed a lot that would that would give him a lot of that re- lot of really good qualities he could bring in as a backup first grader. But the question will then immediately be, as you've said with Phoenix, 
is that what he's happy with? Is that what he'd be comfortable with doing? Um, yeah, again, more questions were asked of the of the coaching staff on Saturday from um, some of the fringe first graders, um, one of them being very much this David Armstrong. Yeah, and I, I kind of think that the, the David Armstrong being allowed to leave if he got a better um, offer is based around the idea that he's a fullback centre. And, you know, in two positions, we had a lot of depth. And obviously the fullback position is locked down forever. You know, we've got plenty of guys that can play centre. So the club is sort of thinking, well, he's... He's good. He's a good player. You know, he's, he he'd get a Super League contract. You know, or at the very least, he'll get a a, um, a championship contract in England. Then um, probably get a Super League deal after that. You know, we're not going to stop him taking that sort of deal, which I think is where the club are at. But the fact that he now has shown that he can really play wing. You know, he's very quick. He's got really good skill, which he showed in that that kick inside for Cogs. Um, he's an, he's an outstanding fullback. Like he's a really, really good fullback. But I kind of think they think that Fletcher Sharp, being a little bit younger than him, is the guy, you know, that sort of is the, you know, the heir apparent to KP in terms of, you know, by the time sort of he's ready, um, KP, you know, there might be other issues with KP. KP will be getting towards any deal or whatever, so they want to keep him around. Whereas Armstrong was sort of um, the guy in the middle. But if you can play fullback, wing, centre, all to a first grade standard and be, you know, and be not just you know, competent, be actually, you know, quite good. I can't see why you wouldn't keep that guy around if he's happy to stay around. And um it's a really interesting one because he, the the knock on him in terms of being a, for a winger was he wasn't quite big enough in yardage. But but he's tough, like he's country footy tough and he's really quick <laughs> and he still was very ravaged. And he's very, <laughs> And he's really, really quick. So, you know, so he's, you know, he's still going to get you plenty of yardage because he's going to fly back into the line and steal 20 metres before the defence gets to him. Um, no, I, I I, honestly can't see why we would let him go this year. Like, it just, to me, it makes no sense. Like, you gave me a chance of who, I, I love Anari. Anari's been a great club, and he's you know, not once winced about being reserve grade. But if I'm picking out of those two, I'm, I'm taking Armstrong. There's, there's a way higher ceiling. I think the floor's still about the same level as Ari's floor, and he's younger. I, I don't I, – yeah, I just can't see why out of those two, Armstrong would be the one that got pushed out of the club. So Anari's signed for the next two years. He got named to play this Saturday as well, which um, sort of answered that winger question as well. There was, again, there was a lot of the Tyson gambles about the commentary from fans around Anari Tuala. He was our leading try scorer for two years before Dom Young last year, everybody. It's, it's, it's very, very easy to forget what he actually has contributed to this club when we were not as good. Um, I think, though, just on your point about Anari v Armstrong, I think the fact that they've persevered with Inari, and we'll see how he goes through this weekend, I think that actually, though, if anything, confirms that we want to win now mentality. Yeah, absolutely. No no doubt. There, there's, no, there's no doubt that the idea at the moment is we've got, we've got our core squad. We just need guys in those other couple of positions we need to fill with guys that won't let us down. Um, just before we do move on to next weekend's game as well, a couple of the other high points that sort of did uh, jump out at me from Saturday was, as we sort of said, you and I had been, all the talk has been around um, Kai Pierce-Paul over the summer. Um, will he be fit? Will he, um, you know, how's he going to look? Um, you know, he was the big name. 
and of course this will will price had sort of snuck in under the radar and just quietly got named on um Saturday for Saturday's game and he did I think he did everything that you could ask of someone who's running out for the first time in Newcastle Knights uh, colors scored a ripper of a try our concern was always that he's a guy that relies on pace in slow broken play again he had that pace in slow broken play but in very hot conditions against um, you know opposition that was sort of uh, looking to looking to impress at least from their end and he I don't think he could have done too much more in that second half to show that he's very much committed to the Newcastle Knights cause in 2024. No absolutely we saw everything out of him we needed to see he he started off a little slow a little clunky but once he sort of you know grew into his role and sort of realized that you know that he was the main ball player there in the second half he looked outstanding he um he showed a great bit of skill to put Armstrong away for the Cogger try. Mm. You know, that that just, yeah, when he finished the try off for himself and just, he went around Cade Dykes, Cade didn't even touch him. It was a try and touch footy, um, you know, which was, which is, it's, it sort of seems easy, but it's amazing that you can just get a quick little shimmy like that and a guy, a first grade player can't get their hand on you. Um, he, I don't know, I just, he's a project. He's not ready to be in the team now. Mm. Um, but if he but he needs to now just go back and carve up cup for you know the first half of the season. If he goes and rips cup apart for the first half of the year, um, I can easily see him coming into the, into the back line somewhere. A couple of other things that I did want to mention from Saturday as well was uh, you and I were both uh, and probably disrespectfully impressed by Tom Cant. Uh, again, he was just showing all of those little things where. He'd obviously been asked to go out and do X, Y, Z, and that's exactly what he did. And, um, you know, I thought he didn't do – he definitely showed that he's ready to be a part of that that first that first grade squad. Um, and the only other thing I guess I wanted to really quickly mention was it was the little things like the effort by uh, Hevo at the end to try and stop that intercept try, and I'm still not convinced that the Sharks player got it down. Oh, it was no try. It did say no try. Yeah, but again, like we said, the result aside, that was that was just an accumulation of all of these little indicators that you wanted to see shown from players that said they're ready for the upcoming season. Because can I tell you this? This is you know what this is you know what it is. That ultimately was the difference for me. This preseason game, more so than so many others we've seen before, the difference for me was that I saw twenty six or twenty seven players that said we're ready as opposed to 26 or 27 players that you and I are used to watching that are going out there going, well, we still don't know what we're going to do. That actually that actually was the key difference in the end from uh, from what, what we saw on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, I'll start with Tom Kent. So Tom Kent got his debut in that game against Dolphins last year while we basically fielding our under-20s playing. Oh, God, that's right. Um, yeah, and he did, he did play poorly, but, you know, even, even in Cup, you know, I was, as you know, I said a lot of saw a lot of cap last year, and even in Cubby, you know, he's an undersized guy, tough as nails, and a Maitland boy. Um, <laughs> but he, but he, but he, he just looked like you know that sort of that guy that was never never good enough for first grade. You now he'd play a couple of years in cup, then he ended up playing local league and killing it because he just wasn't quite big enough to be in a professional system. But he's but he's certainly got a little bigger. You know, he's still fairly seems reasonably shortish, but you know he seemed big enough. 
but he showed a lot more skill. You know, the offload for the try that um, that uh, Will Price scored. There's another one where he threw a nice little pass. You know, he was a link man quite a lot. Um, he sort of did all the things that we that we sort of see from Croaks. Mm. But obviously, you know, Croaks is still ahead of him in the pecking order. But I kind of think that he'll probably he probably got that same sort of role as Croaks. You know, he's sort of that. Maybe twentieth, twenty first guy in the squad, and I then I think that he's got a real role there to play. He certainly, you wouldn't be upset if you know you saw him three or four times this year off the bench. You know, around Origin time, we got a few injuries, a few guys out. He um he impressed a lot. Um, the other one I want to mention is Young Sua. He um, I was just looking at him. Yeah, yeah. So he played um mostly flag last year, and then he went up into cup. Um. But he, he looks one out of the box. You know, he's a spitting image for Pasami Solo for me. Not as tall, but it looks like Pasami Solo. But, you know, he's got that same Pasami Solo aggressiveness. Um, I really like him as a player. I think another year in Cup, he, we could have something there. Paul Bryant didn't get a lot of minutes, but he was solid when he was on the field. We, um, we got some depth there, mate, some real depth. Uh, Jed Cartwright, you and I talked up a fair bit as well. Uh, he probably wasn't as strong in attack as he was in defence. 24 tackles on the day, and again, an extraordinary heat. Um, but I think I heard it in commentary. Oh, no, sorry, it might have even been our good friend, the Maitland Mumbler, Mumbler. He's just this big granite of athlete out there. And again, he just looked strong. He looked solid, you know, he, and he looked really in control of what he was trying to achieve out there. Um, so I thought, again, he ticked all the boxes in terms of what you'd hope from your first hit out for the club. Yeah, he's just a big, solid body, isn't he? You know, he's just yeah. a big, rangy guy. As I've said before, you know, he's got the long arms, so he's good at an offload. But, yeah, just a big, strong body. He takes a batter. He's one of those guys um, that always, you know, always ends up with tape around his head and stuff like that. You know, he ends up limping off the field every game. But he, yeah, he's just a big solid. <laughs> he's just a big solid unit. But the other guy I forgot to talk about was Heather. So yeah, as you know, last preseason yeah. I was high on Heather. But it turns out he done. He did have an off season. Now he had surgery and whatever, and had no off season. And it showed. You know, he he was poor. I think he was poor until maybe the last month and a half, and then he was just solid. Yeah. But yeah, he looked fitter and faster. And just more ready to go. I'm really excited what Heather might give us off the bench this year. The, the turning point for Heather last year was absolutely that sin binning after his um, blow up with Will Smith against yeah, the Tigers. Yeah. Yeah. And I, for whatever reason, I, we, we don't know what goes on behind turn door, uh, closed doors, sorry. But he was absolutely a different player after that. And he was definitely a different player than what you and I are used to seeing on Saturday. Um, just quickly, there was one, I think there was one other thing I wanted to mention. Nope. Nope. Oh, I wanted to talk to you about the Indigenous All-Stars game, if only because obviously you were um, doing um, back backflips uh, for another famous uh, victory for the Indigenous boys under coach Ron Griffiths. But I wanted to talk to you about Adam Elliott. I, I messaged you... I, there was a kick. I swear it was a kick chase in the second half. It was. It was. He was chasing down, putting pressure on the full black, full back, and I think it was the first time I thought to myself, "Oh, I didn't realize how fast he is when fit." Adam Elliott looked really fit on Friday night, and I was finally really excited to have him in the team. Do you think we ever really saw him at full fitness for for the Newcastle Knights in twenty twenty three? No, de definitely not. 
because do you remember? Must have been, must have been sort of, uh, maybe sort of towards the start of our win streak. And there was a stat there where he had the um, the yes. least amount of meters per run. Where yeah, he, was, he, was he was averaging like three or four meters per run, which is horrific. And it, he just couldn't move. Like he just, he just honestly, like everything, he went sideways. He, he had no acceleration. He just basically couldn't move, and he got better. Like late, late in the season, you know, he, the groin obviously started to come good, and his fitness was there. And you know, he, he definitely improved late in the season. He was quite good, but um, no, if he's back to where you know he has got, because he's got good, good, good pace. You know, for a lock forward, that that was his strength. Though he had good, he's got good leg speed. He's got a lot of skill. You know, everyone sort of thinks he was as a tackle bot, but he's not. He's absolutely not a tackle bot. No, um, that's right. No, and and I think that. Those sort of guys like him, though, they're the guys that we need to then get the best out of that that might push us that next step into the top four. Because because I, I expect all the guys' levels to be at least the same this year. You know, none of those guys produced anything you would expect to be able to they can back up. But it's those guys, yeah, like Heather and Elliot, that you just if you could just get thirty percent more out of those guys. There's your next step into the into the elite, and that's why I think that a guy like Croaks might struggle to make the team because they're the spots that he could take. So if those guys are playing well, I can't see Croaks in the seventeen. Well, the thing is, is that you look at the side of his name today. I mean, even Kai Pierce Paul is, uh, you know, he's getting a spot in the seventeen. But you look at players that also need to, well, not need, but you'd think would come into that side, as you sort of pointed out, Matt Croker. Um, Jed Cartwright's pushing hard now as well. Yeah, all, all of a sudden, Matt Croker as a as an automatic starting seventeen. You're you're right. He's um, he's unfortunately definitely questionable now. The other one I want to talk about from Friday night as well. And look, I'm I learned a lot of lessons after round one, 2022, uh, against the Roosters about keeping your lid on things. I'll tell you what I'm really struggling to keep a lid on is how excited I am about Leo Thompson. Oh boy, I just I I you know I don't know if coincidence equals correlation, but I swear him spending a little bit of time in the rep arena with uh, the New Zealand Kiwis alongside one James Fisher Harris. I, I don't know. I, I just. I'm saying something. I'm saying something there, Bretto, and I'm, maybe it's just reflective um, glory. Maybe it's just something I hope is there. But Leo just looks good. And you know what it is about what he looks good? I, I'll, I'll tell you, that first season, he was a boy who was asked to do a role that he was not ready for. And he played every game of first grade for us in 2022, like a deer, I swear like a deer in the headlights. You could see it in his eyes. Now, he brought aggression to his game last year, but he still played the game in a way where he was like, well, I've got to be aggressive, but I'm still not sure if I'm doing this right. I'm telling you, man, everything I saw about him on Friday night, it just, it screamed foot complete package. And I don't know if it was even just the hucker at the begin with, you know, and just flowing into the game, but he just looks like a young man who is ready to be the next big thing. I'm, I'm so excited about Leo. There's no lid on. The lid is off. <laughs> Leo Thompson is going to, he just wants to be the best front rower in the game. And fuck, I'm here to see every single second of it. 
Yeah, I saw it as you on the offseason with him where he, he, he admitted, because he was actually talking about his brother coming to the club potentially next year. And he was saying, like, you'll notice from my brother, you know, he's he's a you know, he's a hooker, you know, he's, he's a guy that'll suit um, prop in rugby league perfectly because, you know, he's, he's bigger than me, you know, he, he used to play in the middle of the field, you know, getting bashed around. Whereas Leo was the faster guy because he used to play, you know, inside centre, which, you know, which is a big position. Like, they're big mm. guys, but, you know, it's more about footwork than anything. And he sort of said, you know, he come to rugby league and they sort of thought, you know, we you got to be a lock. And he started to sort of lock at Canberra. But he, he got to the Knights and obviously, um, you know, they, they moved him into the property. So he just wasn't ready to play prop. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't big enough, you know. He wasn't um, physical enough. He wasn't aggressive enough, like naturally, to play prop. But after two years of doing it, and then you're right, getting into that rep arena and getting that, you know, that experience into the finals run last year and that natural, you know, that natural sort of um, Māori aggression coming out in him. Um, yeah, no, he... I, I, I would not be surprised if at some stage this year he's sort of considered in the top five or six props in the game. He's got it in him. and But the thing is, we always knew that you and I thought it was probably still another season away before he was really going to show it. But I think for better or worse, what he had to do in 2022 fast-tracked him. And as you and I have seen with so many young players in the Knights system, when you fast-track that that young talent, you, you, have a ten, you always run the risk of crushing it. But it's obviously he's one of the few where, no, that's brought the best out of him and he's just grown on a far higher trajectory than uh, than he initially anticipated. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about Leo this year. And when you think about that prop rotation of two Saifides and a Thompson, oh, mama, <laughs> that, is, that is just a primo push for the top four uh, prop rotation that you want to see. That, and ho- that hopefully it brings the best out of both of the Saifides. Yeah, those Saifidi boys have got no excuse now. So, so the, you know, in, in terms of experience, they're the senior, they're the two senior guys, in, and Leo's you know is upstaged them. Like Leo's dad gone past. Leo's no doubt that I'm a prop at the club. They, you know, those boys, um, if they don't go with Leo's lead, yeah, there's no, there's no reason to keep them around the club. Like I just, I can't see why. I understood when they were young men and they weren't ready to be leaders and they're not naturally aggressive sort of guys. They're quite quiet. I, I got that. But no, they're, they're now Origin players. They've had a young kid that's only played rugby league for a couple of years go past them in the club pecking order. Like lads, you know, you 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 were the you you guys are the great hope. You know, you guys got bashed when you were when you were children for this moment. You know, to then pay it back. Well, now you've got a team that are at the top end of the table. You've got guys around you that can do the bashing with you. Let's see it. And the thing about the, the two Saifidi boys as well is that, like, they're locked in. They, they're locked in for the next three and four years, respectively. They've got that stability there. They've got that ability now to just play to their value, you know, play the game. They can focus on the on the, on the the game with a very clear future um, ahead of them. They've got that stability. Um, but can I tell you why I think Leo should actually bring the best out of them is that, it's not 2016 where it's all on their shoulders anymore. Yeah, that's right. You've got you've got help. It you actually don't have to be the only ones to do it. All you need to do is just be the best props that we know you can be, because you've got another partner in crime here who's going to help you out. And I just think having 
you know, we, we've spent a lot of the off-season talking about how there's this competition for places that should be pushing everybody to want to be better. I genuinely believe the Saifides inversely are like, no, we've got support now. It, it, it's not all on us. Like, okay, this is great. We've got someone to help us out. Let's go out and do it. Absolutely. Like, if you if, if Hello steps up and has the year we think he might have, like, We've got near the best prop rotation in the competition. Oh, boy! <laughs> That's a hot take coming out from Bay 53. I mean, I agree, but uh, our three Panthers fans listening to this, fucking hell. They I, I, said, I, said near, I said near the best. I didn't say the best. <laughs> I said near the best. But you think, you know, we've got Leo, who I think well, this year will go to that elite bracket. We've got yeah. the Twins, who are both origin standard, you know, when they're playing well. And we've got Heather, who's, who's probably the, you know, in terms of our team's fourth best prop, he'd be nearly the, you know, the best in the game if he gets anywhere near his best form. I can't see why we shouldn't be dominating in the middle of the field. I really can't. I, I, you and I discussed um, before the preseason, before last weekend, that we said if we can tighten things up in the middle... That's I think that's where you know it pushes us from that that team on the edge of top four to really you know wanting to I, be I, in I, top I'll, four. I'll say I'll t- say now if we if we dominate the middle of the field we'll rack up forty nearly every week because no team can live with us if we've got space on the edges. I'm no expert. I just love the game, but more than that, I love the community. If you're a fan of rugby league or the NRL, you'll love Big T's Tees. Unique, affordable, and made for fans. Find a link to the online store in the show notes below. You'd look good in one of Big T's tees. We're recording this shortly after the second teamless Tuesday has dropped for the year. Um, and you said it as soon as you saw the side, you were like, well, if this isn't the round one side, you'll be very surprised. I think both the Melbourne Storm and the Knights have named really strong teams um for this weekend uh, first question brother are you happy with that 17 as it currently stands like all things being equal you factor in all the contexts in terms of what we've seen performance injuries that we know that are you happy with if that is the 17 come round one that's the 17 i would have picked i i i, I you know personally i want to, i would like to see armstrong there because i you know i'm excited for him but in terms of a round one team that's the 17 i would have picked so the thing about Anari is that because I can very much see Anari playing out an entire season there, but I can also see a timeline where Anari goes the way of Heimel Hunt and we don't see him again after the third round, or at least we don't see him again a barring injury for the, from the third round. Not necessarily because I think he'll do much wrong, but I am just mindful with Heimel and Marju, the way Heimel, Marju, Dom sort of rotated a bit in those early rounds last year. The difference, I think, between Heimel and Denari is I genuinely do think Anari wants it more, and I think he'll deliver more what Adam O'Brien uh, would ask of him. Uh, that's why I can see Anari having that extended run. But, yeah, there is that little part in the back of my mind that can just see uh, it wouldn't surprise me if come round four that that, um, that that back line is just a little little bit different to what we um, what we saw in round one. Just, just on Anari, so I think last year in Cup, Adam O'Brien basically had a shootout between Anari, Simi, and Hunt. And those three guys played most of the year in Cup. And he picked out, he, I think in his head, he said, one of these guys are going to get a deal for next year. The other two are out the door. And, yep. and there was no doubt at all Anari earned it. Because Anari was 
great every week. Even weeks they got flogged, he was solid. You know, he never let the team down. Even when he was playing first grade, like at home, you would go and see him, and he would be there cheering on the sidelines, like because he was captain of that cap team, cheering him on. You know, just riding every minute with that team. He loved the boys, you know, he had around him, and he loved working with those young kids. And I think as you've seen that, okay, you're my club man. You're my man that you know that. We'll do the job for you on the field, and you'll do the job for me off the field. And I think that, as I said, those three guys, it was, it was dead set shootout who was going to be, you know, that that guy for this year, knowing that Dom was leaving, and, and Anari got the spot earned. And I think that's exactly why Adzi, you know, well, Anari, you get first dig at it because you've earned it. One to seven is really as you would expect. Uh, how much do you reckon KP will put? Just 40? 40 minutes think, enough I, for KP? They generally, play, they generally play 50. They just come on, you know, just okay. to sort of – because there's a real big thing in terms of, like, getting the body to be able to start again after halftime. Yep. So you'll, you'll notice a lot of guys, they'll either, either sort of play 25 or 30 or they'll play 50. Um, the one to seven sort of speaks for itself. Good to see Greg Margie back in the side, although we still don't know why he was pulled – oh, no, sorry, he family reasons, personal yeah, family reasons, reasons as to yeah. why he missed yeah. over the weekend. Hey, let's talk about this forward pack because – as you said, you think that this is the 8-13 to 13 that will start. It's a strong pack. I think Dylan Lucas has earned that um, second edge spot. I mean, I think that's a good forward pack. I, I, there's there's a lot to like about it. I think it's got uh, good toughness. It's got good mobility. I think if Phoenix can just keep doing his job, um, I think a fit Adam Elliott. You know I love how mobile and how skillful Dylan Lucas is. That 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 is that to me is yeah I I think that is probably our best forward pack based on everything we know at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. There's no there's no doubt at all that that that's the best pack because we learnt last year that Jacob starting and Daniel off the bench is the better option. Um, so yeah, so that was always going to happen. Obviously, Leo will start all last year. He's certainly going to start all this year. Uh, no brass. The Phoenix is automatic. Uh, yeah, obviously, Frizz on his edge. Dylan Lucas, he was always getting at first dibs on that spot. And I think even if KPP wasn't, you know, coming back from the surgery, I think Dylan Lucas still earned the right to start on that edge. Oh, agreed. Um, yeah, agreed. You know, and, and as we've talked about, you know, and being suggested, I'm a good agreement that it might get to the point where, especially Adam Elliott is out injured or something, I think Frizz might place a middle. And I think, mm. you know, we might see KPP on one side and Lucas on the other side. Um but I, I'm actually interested to see yeah, how Adji rotates that pack. Well, we're not exactly here in the trial, but in round one, you know, is Adam Elliott going to go back to what he has been in the past where he can play 65-70 in the middle? Or are we still going to play him as a as a 40, as a 50 sort of guy and, and sort of rotate another guy through the back of the scrum, you know, with a bit of leg speed like we used to do with our Kurt Mann? You know who's the interesting one in all of is the interesting one in the conversation now in terms of not just this year but but moving forward that player option for Tyson Frizzell in 2025 as we sit here is very interesting because for me you know and we'll, we'll revisit it as the year goes on but as we sit here whether he takes that player option or not it suddenly doesn't feel like it's a make or break decision See when he when he re-signed last year, it felt like a make or break decision because we were building something. He just really felt like he, ne- he needed to at least be here. We just needed to be able to say that's the faith players have. They're staying with us, but all of a sudden, 
you know, we've got KPP, Jed, Jed Cartwright, you know, we want to find a place for Croaks somewhere if we have to. That player option for Frizzell, I just I just think it becomes a lot more interesting than than what I'm used to as a Knights fan, which is us just sitting here hoping that he stays with us because I have separation anxiety. <laughs> yeah, I, we need Frizz for this year. So I, I think the, the, the deal is really good because they locked him in for this year and they gave both him and the club you know, options for the next two years, which I think is exactly because we had to have him this year. You know, you can't you can't start the year with two, you know, a rookie and a guy that's pretty much a rookie yes, on, on, yes. On, on your edges, you know, uh, which I think is part, part of the reason why we bought Jed Cartwright. So we at least had some, you know, as much as Jed hasn't played a lot of first grade, you know, he's been in first grade systems for a few years now. So, you know, so he was... He was sort of that, you know, that insurance um, for the, for the edges, but I think that the freeze thing, and I th- I think as the deal goes on, he will certainly become in the middle. I think next year, even if, if freeze takes his option, I think next year the ed- the edge stars will be KPP and Dylan Lucas, and whether and whether that means freeze starts at lock or freeze starts off the bench as the guy that can play edge or middle, um, yeah. But you're right, it's. If he decided um, not to take his option next year left, there's no, there's no disaster in that. Okay, let's let, let's look into our. Well, we won't look into our crystal ball. I guess, though the same thing for me going into this weekend. And I mean, the Storm have named a really strong, strong side. Um, Nick Meaney's even still in there. They've 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 put him in at centre, obviously for. Um, uh, Justin Ollum leaving. Uh, they've named uh, Jonah Pizet. So, do we know what's happening with um, with? Uh, oh, I'm having Munster? a moment. Munster. I'm having a moment, Brady. Yeah. Well, do we know what's Do we know what's happening with Munster uh, at the um, moment? He's not no, named at all. He just doesn't play preseason. I, 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 <laughs> he, he genuinely doesn't. I think you know even when he does get named, he plays like 20 minutes. He um, that's just how they they do with him. He he just doesn't play preseason. Um, but I mean, they've even named you know, Christian Welch on the bench, so they've named a really strong side this weekend. If, if you're Adam O'Brien and you're coaching against your former club, what are you looking for from the players this weekend? Um, because for, if I'm being honest, for me, I genuinely think this is a weekend where you say, "Well, you don't want to have fifty put on you, but just just stay fit." Again, look for those combinations. Look for how you work with each other you know, on and off the ball in attack, but also, you know, with your man in defence. I, I really think it's one of those things where they're just trying to learn those, con- like, no, sorry, confirm those connections as opposed to going out there and trying to do too much. Yeah, it'll be more of the same, really. It'll be, you, you know, you, 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 you start as play, you know, your first 20 minutes and you start your rotations, but... Even though we racked up a score on Saturday, you know, we weren't, you know, we weren't playing flat out the whole time. You know, we, we'd sort of um, go in and out of the game, in and out of our gears. And I think it'll be the exact same this week. It'll be, um, you know, yeah, rolling through the structures. The, the whole thing, the whole thing with the um, with the trial games, it, it's not, people say it's for fitness. Your fitness is part of it, but it's more about just timing. That's, that's, yeah. what, that's, that's why you play trial games. You play t- trial games to your timing. Especially when you've got new guys in key positions, which we don't. You know, we got Cogs coming. We don't really. So those guys don't need to play massive minutes. You know, it's just more of the same from last year. Um, I think that we'll probably get the you know the, the 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 bulk of the team playing the first half and early second half, 
I think I think Phoenix and Ronald Jones do the same thing. They'll play twenty minute um, quarters each and just rotate like that in the in, in the thing. Uh, Leo, I don't think Leo played massive minutes because he played a yeah he obviously played a pretty intense game last week in the um, in the All Stars so without Elliot. so they've had mm. their really hard hit out already. Mm. Um, I think the Twins might play a few more minutes just to, you know just to get a bit bit more into their legs. But I, this will be basically, I think, yeah, we'll, we'll be serious for a good 40 or 50 minutes and then I'll just be get everybody off you can and, uh, yeah, with no injuries. Um, you at one point did indicate that you had a little bit of concern because you and I, let's be honest, we, we've got our eyes on round two. <laughs> yeah. And you were a bit concerned that the trip to Fiji um is just awful timing for us in terms of playing in the tropics with a international flight under our belts two weeks from the season starting i think based on what we saw from these boys last weekend i don't think that's an issue in fact if anything i think you know there's the potential that the fiji trip is actually going to have us really cherry ripe come round one because we played um we'll hopefully have played two really solid hit outs in really taxing conditions to get that that fitness and as you said that that physical awareness that that sort of muscle memory just firing on all cylinders come round one yeah definitely my my concern around it is that it's a flight that's unnecessary so oh, it's, yeah, it's definitely not so, necessary. That's... So things like people talk about Brisbane's flying, but the thing is Brisbane go to the airport and fly an hour to Sydney or whatever. You know, we, we have to fly, so we have to have a two-hour coach trip before we get to fly anywhere. So if it's two hours on the coach, then it's a five-hour flight, then it's a coach from there to the to the where we're playing at, then it's a coach back, it's a five-hour flight back, so it's a two-hour trip. You know, it's a, it's a big trip. You know, Melbourne will fly direct Melbourne to Fiji, you know. We can't do that. So to me, that that's the concern when we do it. Same with some Townsville flight for us as a, as a bloody flight to Brisbane, change the yeah, like it, it's never easy. And I just always sort of think it's an un, it's an unnecessary flight. And I think that you're right. It put it put us in good stead in terms of um, handling the tropical heat in the last week. But but I think you know I don't think it's going to hurt us early. But I think that you know that can be taxing down the track. I just. It frustrates me because when I see teams like Canterbury, like Canterbury had the two trial games at Belmore. You know, like, it just, it just frustrates me when Sydney teams have got the, the advantage of they travel less than anybody else, but they also play their trials in Sydney. Mm. Like, it just it, it, it just annoys me. The whole point of the trial was to get out in the country, and none of them are. They're all playing in fucking Sydney. It, it pisses me off. <laughs> no, look, that's, uh, that's absolutely fair enough. And um, I think, though, at the end of the day, hopefully they get back in one piece, they rest up a little bit, they get ready for that big season opener on the 7th of March. Down the blind, Andrew John. Inside for Hey mate, before we do sign off, the the those 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 rasc, rascally sort of wily characters out at Newcastle, they do like to thwart um, at the Newcastle Knights. So they do like to thwart Bay Fifty Three wherever possible. You and I, I think, had uh, just finished editing our um, our first big episode for the season when they made yet another little announcement. Um, this time at the club's season launch, mate. All things being equal, it looks like Adam O'Brien will finish his tenure at the Newcastle Knights if all things work out. As the longest-serving coach in Newcastle Knights history, uh, he's inked a three-year extension 
I think I speak on behalf of you when I say absolutely right decision. Um, what we've seen from Adam O'Brien to date is that you know he's got more he's got the most finals appearances of any coach in Knights history that didn't have an immortal at halfback. Granted, he's got an immortal at fullback, but that's not that that aside. Um, we firmly believe in what he's trying to build here at the moment. And yeah, adding three years is really just absolute just rewards for not only what he's achieved, but I think as well the faith that he's shown in the club by giving his first grade coaching career to the, the people of Newcastle. Yeah, there's no, there's no doubt he's earned it in terms of on-field results. But I also think he's earned it in terms of, you know, he used to, you know, he used to cop a lot of shit for, you know, being a bit explosive in the box and he hadn't earned the right, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And that was all bullshit. But he, <laughs> but, but as he's gone along, you know, he's really grown into the role. He's a lot better in front of the media. You know, he's a, he's a lot, he's a lot better in terms of, um, how do I put it? You know, he's a lot better in terms of presenting himself and how the club operates to the fans. So, you know, he really, he really gives us good insight these days in his interviews, whether it's pre-match, post-match, you know, just a chat in the off-season, whatever. He's really very open with the fans now. But I think initially he was a bit guarded. He sort of come from that Melbourne and Roosters sort of, you know, that idea where the coach don't tell you much. And, um... Well, let's let's be honest. The, the the four grand finals presser that's a thing of the past. Like you just you're never yeah, going to see yeah, anything like yeah, that ever again. Yeah, because he just he just realised the fact that everyone knew that he didn't mean I'm, I'm fucking responsible for. Everyone knew that, but he knew that by saying that he just becomes a target. Mm. And I, I think that was a good lesson for him that you know, to having the right intention means nothing. If you if you know, if you're if you're not Wayne Bennett or bloody Craig Bellamy, everything you say will be you know. We turn into a negative because that's what the NRL media and NRL fans do. It's it's really really interesting to me that guys that I thought would leave the club because they've had a, you know they would get better opportunities like a Phoenix have all sort of taken what's probably under the state. I think that's always a good indicator that there's mm. for those fringe guys those fringe guys want to stay at the club. That's to me that's the key. You, you, the good coaches hang on to those guys that are at the bottom end of your roster because they just want to play for a certain coach. And I think that Adam O'Brien's um, already shown that. And, um, you know, the, the, everyone sort of has to go the Dom Young thing. I think Dom's a bit of a bloody party boy. I think Dom's want to get a Bondi. And, if you know, and if Newcastle was, you know, in the east suburbs of Sydney, we probably would have kept him. So I don't think that's on Adam O'Brien at all. And pretty much oh, everything everyone else would want to keep with kept. I'm shocked that I'm only just now finding out that there ever was criticism of Adam O'Brien for Dom Young. I thought that was a patently obvious that he would, we could have had um, anyone coaching. We could have had Robbo coaching the Knights and he was always going to Sydney. If anything, I think it's a credit to Adam O'Brien that he was like, we're staying the course on what we're doing here. And absolutely he had the support of Peter Parr to be like. And the club didn't panic. When, 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 yeah. when the money started rolling, the, the, the Knights in the past would have gone, lose 850000 please don't leave. <laughs> and, and they went, no, we, we offered you six fifty. That's more than you're worth. Um, some interesting stats just about Adam O'Brien. So um, this will obviously be his fifth season. He did have those COVID-impacted um, couple of seasons. He's coached 91 games. So he's actually the fourth – he's already the fourth longest-serving coach of the Knights. This is why the 2022 season pisses me off so much because um, if you take Christian Wolf out of the equation, which I think you absolutely should – he has the fourth best 
winning percentage at uh, 46.1%. But the interesting thing is of the 12 coaches we've had, only three have a winning percentage above 50. And Mal Riley, Warren Ryan, Michael Hagan, they all had Andrew Johns as their halfback. So he is the best performing coach we've had that didn't get to coach uh, Andrew Johns. Um, but this is why 2022 irritates me so much because he's got a winning percentage of all 46.1%. But, I mean, you take that 2022 season out and he's had a, a, a ridiculously successful run with this team when um, when we have been winning. The only other thing I want to point out as well is that, so, as I said, he is the fourth longest uh, serving coach for the Knights. This, this uh, deal will take him past uh, Michael Hagan. Um, but the other th- interesting thing is that our two longest serving coaches are all premiership winning coaches. So Adam O'Brien, for all intents and purposes, is doing everything he possibly can. He's ticking all of the right boxes to be a premiership winner here's, here's with the, the Newcastle here's Knights. Here's a question for you, mate. So we, we stay about where we are, you know, sort of edge of the top 14 for the next three years, but don't challenge for the premiership. Does he get another contract? No. I Not with this squad. Not with Kalen Ponga. I don't think Kalen Ponga will allow it. I yeah. think if we're not close to a grand final by the end of next year, he'll be talking with management, and which is what, and that's because that's what star players do. But my take on Adam O'Brien is more: I don't think that conversation is going to be necessary. You know, we, you and I, bang on about it. We absolutely bang on about it. And the simple fact of the matter is. For everything, we've had 12 coaches at this club. That includes all of our interim coaches. For all the success that any coaches had at this club, they got to work with Andrew Johns. It is not easy coaching the Newcastle Knights for whatever reason. And historically, we know that this has been a club that was operating as a professional sporting organisation on the basis of goodwill for decades. What we know about what Adam O'Brien has been able to achieve as coach of the Newcastle Knights is unprecedented in every way imaginable. And I just think, as a fan, you absolutely, you you must have blinkers or a blindfold on over the last four years. And I am including 2022 in that. Even just to see the way he handled himself as this club spiralled for some unknown reason... I just think everything, If you should have faith. I can't guarantee that it's going to result in a premiership, but I just think we would be foolish not to take what he's done over the last four years and think contending for a premiership is something we should be aiming for in the next two seasons. Where, so if he never coached another another game, so say tomorrow, you know, he has a healthy issue, never coached another game for the Knights, where would you rank him as, as a Knights coach? Third? Third, third, third best coach we've had. After, yeah, so after yeah. the two premiership winners, yeah. he is absolutely number three for me. So you'd put him above weight and McMahon? I would. If only because, and I need to be very careful here, if only because weight came in with that. Like, he was an experienced coach already. See, this is what we forget about Adam O'Brien. Adam O'Brien was a, is a rookie coach. Yeah, <laughs> He's yeah. going into his literal 50. Everyone can talk as much as they want. Oh, you know, but he came through the Melbourne Storm system. How many assistant coaches have we seen? They get to year two. Craig Fitzgibbon, they get to year two, and it's it's suddenly a lot harder. So Todd played that one good year in three. So everything we've seen about Adam O'Brien has actually been consistently good. 
which is why that 2022 year is such an outlier. So for me, what Adam O'Brien has achieved, he is absolutely the third best coach that we've that we, we've had. And I just want him to win that premiership so I can say, yes, we the Bay 53 called it. He's the best coach we've had in this club's history. And um, I just, uh, yeah, I, I, it's funny, you know, it's funny, you know, I spent the better part of 20 years wishing that the Knights men could win a premiership just so that I had something to enjoy. And I am so invested in Adam O'Brien as a coach that I actually have just fought me to stage. I really hope he wins it because I feel like he deserves it. Yeah, that that's that's the thing. Like, I, I think that him and KP deserve the premiership. You know, they've... Because the reality is that two years ago, he could have quite easily gone back to Melbourne and waited for Melbourne mm. to retire. You know, mm. but he didn't. You know, KP could have quite easily dumped us two or three years ago and went, no, you guys are going nowhere. I'll go, I'll go to somewhere and win a premiership. Neither of them did. Like, you know, we've got to repay him. We've got to repay him. And because this is the other thing, what, and you pointed out something very interesting there as well, is that what did we talk about on the last podcast? Adam O'Brien had to come here and in a lot of ways unlearn everything he'd learned at stable organisations and take any knowledge that he had to try and build something new. So... You know, Peter Parr has come in and given him that assistance where these two people are working in tandem now to give this club, this men's team, every opportunity that they possibly can to say, go out there for 80 minutes and deliver. We've done everything we can for you off the field, boys, to get you ready. Now is the time to, to do it. And I just think what we saw last year in particular, you know, those missed conversions, you know, what was going on off the field, you know, with our million dollar man off the and the coach held them together. What animals go through off the field? Well, I don't, I don't like banging on about that too much because I don't want to sound like I'm trying to turn that into a... But yeah, you're and you're absolutely right. And so, um, oh yeah, look, you know how highly I rate Adam O'Brien. Um, I absolutely think he's the third best coach we've ever had to date. And uh, I just really, I think once he wins that premiership, that'll take him into the, the you know, the goat Newcastle Knights coach. One, one last hypothetical. So, so this year we finish fifth, same sort of season, out the second week. Next year we miss the finals. Do we... Oh. Wait a sec. Is, is he out the door so Ron Griffith doesn't get away? Yeah. I mean, I don't for a second think that that's going to happen. But, oh, yeah, if we start going backwards after last season, I think Adam O'Brien will probably want to leave, if I'm being honest. I, th- I, think, I think if we went backwards next season he, I think you're right I think he would walk I think because I think he'd just say look, I, my impression of Adam O'Brien and we said this after the first season is that when you listen to his press conferences he's a player first coach I think that's why the players respond to him and if he works on the basis that he wants to create the most positive environment that he can to get the best out of players so he comes across to me very much as a player I'm uh, sorry as a coach who if the players stop responding He'll walk away because he thinks it's best for the players. And I don't think he would enjoy coaching if he's lost the players. I think he's yeah, the sort no. of guy that he's, he's loved because he wasn't a you know an real player. His love of the game at that, at that level is he gets to be part of the you know, playing group. Fredo, we've been talking as for you as usual for far too long. Uh, we're really looking forward to more footy on Saturday. Um, yeah. You know, find us on the socials, everybody, at Bay53Pod on Twitter, on Instagram, occasionally on TikTok. Brett, thanks as usual for recording. 
Um, enjoy the week, everybody. See you on the socials. Free Palestine. Sports Best Friends would like to thank you for listening right to the end. You are our kind of people. Find other great sports podcasts in our family by subscribing. And remember, social media isn't a bad place. You just need to follow the right people.